All right. Welcome back. For those of you that have uh, been listeners to the podcast, I appreciate it. We're uh, Tuesday today. Uh, this podcast is going up Thursday. We have a potentially stormy Tuesday, so hopefully my internet here in Princeton uh, doesn't get hit by a storm. But we have Seth Anderson from Wasika today. Coach, thanks for joining us. Hey, good to be here. Glad to be on your uh, long list of uh, great coaches on the podcast so far. Yeah, this is the uh, from the new Prague staff from about five years ago. Now this is our second coach we've had with Tezdal now having you jump on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, was he your first one you ever had on this on the show? He was the second one, but he was like the first real interview. Like I was just talking with John Carrier for my first one. So if anyone listens to that and listens to the other one, it sounds a lot different. We were just talking hoops. I go, hey, I'm going to hit record and post this as a podcast. And that's kind of where it started. But yeah, yeah. He, uh, yeah, he was the first real interview, but he was the second episode. Yeah, you know, it seems like a long time ago now. Um, you know, I, when I got out of college, I, I took my first coaching job in Blue Earth area. So I was down there for three years coaching and teaching down there and, you know, kind of looking to go somewhere else. And, you know, you always hear good things academically and sports-wise about New Prague. So I took a job in New Prague thinking, you know, I might be done with coaching for a while, try something different. And and once you know it, uh, Bryce Tesdall took the head job at New Prague. And and we had kind of known each other a little bit um, just because we were the same age. Um, you know, we were both in the state tournament our senior years in high school, um, played in the uh, high school all-star game together. So we had a few connections here and there of, of, of knowing each other. But when he got to New Prague, uh, he was looking to build a staff and said, hey, uh, you know, Seth, would you want to come coach basketball with me? And, you know, at the time I was kind of like, you know, this is going to be a great way to meet people. And, and really, I mean, when you're a, a young coach, um, really you don't have a whole lot of other people that you've seen do things differently. You know, like um, when I think to my coaching background, you know, my dad was my high school coach, uh, played at Gustavus for Mark Hansen. And those are the only two styles that I've ever seen um, be executed. So, you know, when I went down to Blue Earth as a head coach for the first time, you know, I mean, I knew what I knew and, you know, being an assistant for Tezdal, you know, he, he did things very differently than what I've ever seen before. So it was really a fun year to be able to be an assistant for him at New Prague, where number one, we had some good players and a, and a good team that year. Um, but also to be able to see uh, a guy who shared that same passion for basketball and, and how he went about his business of coaching, uh, especially at a 4A school. Um, coming from uh, the small school uh, background where double A basketball was pretty much my background and knowledge and uh, being able to see him uh, do his thing at New Prague and, you know, be able to steal some things from him that I liked and, and now be able to bring some of that stuff back to me with Wasik. It's almost kind of a blend of things that I've liked from all of the coaches that I've been around uh, historically or things that I've seen people do. So, you know, that one year in New Prague, uh, being with him and teaching up there kind of brought my love of basketball and passion back and uh, being able to go back. And we actually lived together in New Prague that year. So, you know, it, the basketball talk never really ever seemed to end uh, once we left the gym back in those days. How did you, how did your perspective change as a coach? And you kind of mentioned it before, but uh, you know, as a young coach, usually, you know, you're an assistant coach for a couple of years and maybe you get your head job and you kind of stay in that head cycle uh, but you were able to go head coach and then new assistant, then to back to head coach. So how did you evolve from that first round as a head coach at Blue Earth to where you are now as a Wasika head coach? You know, I think my knowledge base just grew so much more um, having seen a lot of, you know, when you go to that 4A level, you know, everything is a little bit more in depth. Um, you got these guys who are 
completely all in with basketball. And, uh, you know, when you're coaching at a double A school, you know, or a single A school, all your kids are three sport athletes. Um, they have to be three sport athletes or else you don't have the, the programs um, be able to perform. So, you know, when you go up to, you know, schools like New Prague, it kind of opened my eyes up to, you know, these one sport athletes that, you know, put in 11, 12 months a year of all basketball. Um, that was, that was probably the biggest eye opener to me um, was how much these, these kids put into the sport. I remember um, being up there and uh, I got up there in the summertime and we did summer basketball and it was almost like a job for those kids. I remember some of those kids would get up in the morning um, they would lift weights, come to morning practice. Uh, some of them, if they were like freshmen, there was like a basketball camp for them. And then in the evening, we'd have like uh, scrimmages in, during the week. So it was almost like an eight-hour job um, of basketball during the summertime for a lot of those kids. And then some of them worked on top of it. So uh, it kind of opened up my eyes of, uh, of what high school kids could do um, at that level. And then, you know, you get done with summer basketball. It moves into fall basketball. You got your winter season, which is the biggest one. And then all of them play AAU basketball during that time uh, in the spring. So it was, it was quite interesting to be able to see it from that side. And then kind of all the different offenses and defenses at uh, schools at that level um, would, would, would run. You know, uh, from my background before I got to New Prague, um, playing at Maple River and playing at Gustavus, I was never, ever uh, allowed to be in a ball screen. You know, uh, you know, like if I had the ball, uh, it was a rule in our offenses that you couldn't ball screen. Um, so getting to the new preg level, Tesdall's main offense was a ball screen offense. So that was kind of my first introduction of really diving into the uh, intricacies of, of the ball screen offense. And, you know, the more and the more I saw him run that ball screen, the more I, I, I liked it, more I um, appreciated it, um, the more things I saw that you could do out of it and be effective with it. And uh, I, it was really interesting because, you know, going from, you know, especially at Gustavus, it was illegal to ball screen. So, I mean, everybody at Gustavus, if you ever play a pickup game with anybody who went through the Mark Hansen School of Basketball, nobody ever ball screens in a pickup game there. Um, so it, it was very strange for me to buy into that type of system. And now that I'm at Wasika, where we've had some really good guards, we ball screen all the time. So... Uh, it, it was funny how, you know, my, my styles and ideas of, of how to play basketball and coach basketball didn't completely change, um, but how I was able to come over to that side of the, the realm a little bit more and, uh, and appreciate it and be able to um, put it in with the uh, type of players that we had. So um, that's probably what I appreciated the most was just seeing different things and how people went about managing, how they went about through a practice, how they prepared, how they scouted, you know, all of those things like that, um, that I had not been on the other side of and see somebody else do it at that level. So we obviously have a mutual friend in uh, coach Eric Jacobs, who is uh, uh, essentially a family member to me now at this point with his uh, dating my sister-in-law, uh, who used to be the girls coach in Princeton, and then was the assistant girls coach in Mankato West. And I was a dear friend of yours going back to your Gus Davis days. So I've been uh, well aware of the uh, Gus Davis style. And I've, we've obviously had our you know, dozen or so conversations about basketball over the years of us knowing each other. And I, I wanted to ask you that. So you kind of already were, you're already, you're beating me right now down, down my question list, but I wanted to go a little bit more in depth because I know Gus Davis is such a heavy off ball, three out two in motion, off ball screens, high low type stuff with the bigs. And so how did you, you know, go a little bit more into detail, how you evolved as a coach from 
that traditional three out, two in, high low, um, off ball screen motion to, and you mentioned the players you have with the Willingham brothers and the other guards that you have. Uh, but how have you evolved as a coach then installing uh, ball screens within your system? You know, it's, it's so funny where, you know, when, when you're, when you're a player at the college level, or even when you're a player in high school, you feel like, heck, I could teach anybody uh, to play what we do. Um, and, you know, when I was at Maple River playing for my dad, it was, I, I would, it would, it, it, I, it wasn't called this back then, but I would have said it would have been more of a read and react type offense. Um, we had some good posts. So we played out a little, played a little three out, two in back then. Um, but when I got to college, yeah, like you said, uh, it was just all purely motion basketball um, at Gustavus. So, you know, you kind of learn how to come off screens, how to come off a down screen, how to run a fade screen, you know, how to set your defender up to come off screens. Uh, you know, dribbling was really frowned upon um, playing at Gustavus. Anybody who took more than, you know, dribbling was almost illegal in our offense. You know, our, our coach Mark Hans would always say, you know, the best dribble that you can take is to improve your position to make a post feed. You know, that was kind of the, that was kind of his mentality of, you know, dribbles are kind of wasting your time unless you're going to the hoop um, or in, in improving your position. So, you know, playing as a, as a guard in a three out, two in uh, kind of motion offense, you know, you kind of have to figure out, well, well how can I be effective? You know, um, my game and my style was more of a, you know, penetrate in the middle lane and pull up and shoot a mid range jumper. That was kind of my style of play where that's a hard thing to do in a, motion um, post-oriented offense. So it took me a long time to figure out how to be effective offensively um, as an offensive threat versus just kind of catching and keeping the ball moving in that type of uh, perspective. Um, and when I got to coaching at Blue Earth, you know, um, we had decent big guys at Blue Earth. Um, we played pretty much three out, two in um, the entire time I was a coach there. Um, just because of our size and, you know, not having a lot of great ball handlers at that time to be able to do anything else. So um, I pretty much took what we did at Gustavus and put it into to work at, at Blue Earth area. And, and that's kind of where my coaching background started was I knew how to coach this well. And we kind of had a personnel that kind of fit that at Blue Earth. And, and that's kind of where I started um, you know, my coaching was, you know, we're going to be a three out, two in post oriented offensive team. Um, I knew how to coach it. Well, I played in that type of style for a long time. So, um, you know, that's kind of where I started. Now, when I went up to New Prague and uh, and we had more of a balanced team where you had five guys, six, seven, eight guys that could all score the ball if you needed them to. Um, and I saw Tesdall put in the, the ball screen offense, which, you know, it didn't completely take away post play. Um, I would say anytime we got a post touch at New Prague, you know, Tesdall is really happy about it, which is, um, which is usually kind of surprising. Like you, you hear the ball screen, you don't really think of, you know, post touches very often. Um, but he kind of had a, a system that he liked getting post touches out of his ball screen offense. And, um, you know, you could, and the thing I liked about it is you had the opportunity to make it guard oriented if you wanted to, or you could make it post oriented if you wanted to. Um, out of his style and uh, you know they had guards that could make plays off the dribble get to the hoop and score at the rim or come off ball screens and knock down threes or you know we had good post players where you know you could run it around and move the ball and get post touches out of it and I thought you know this is this is really good I mean you, this is a type of offense that you could put in if you have good guards or good big guys because at the high school level 
I mean, it's, it's a, it's a crapshoot for what you're going to get. Sometimes you don't know if you're going to have good bigs or good guards. Um, you know, the only downfall is it is if you don't have, you know, those dominant ball handlers that can create a play, um, which, you know, which is why a lot of teams run that read and react um, offense sometimes because it cuts down on the dribbling. So, you know, when I, when I took the head job down in Wasika, you know, you kind of have all those backgrounds of, you know, what do I want to do? Do I want to run the read and react? Do we have guys that can pass and move the ball, but maybe not, hand, maybe not be able to penetrate? I mean, do we run a dribble drive offense where we're trying to attack the hoop every time? Uh, do we play three out, two in and just keep pounding it in? You know, there's so many different styles of basketball that you can play and there's really no right or wrong answer because at all levels you've seen all the different styles of offense be successful um, to a certain extent. So it's almost trying to figure out what your kids can strengths are and trying to fit that into an offensive system that's going to benefit them uh, to the best of their abilities. And, and that's kind of where we settled on when I first got down here in Wasika is, is kind of a, a continuity ball screen offense where, you know, we wanted to feed the post. Um, but at the same time, we had guards that could make plays off the dribble and we wanted them to be able to have some freedom too. So um, that's kind of where we're at right now is, you know, kind of playing a continuity ball screen offense where the perimeter guys have the ability to make plays, um, but we still have good big guys and we like our post touches too. You have a unique situation in that you played for your dad uh, at Maple River. And then now he currently, after a long uh, and successful uh, career on his own right, then now he's an assistant on your staff. So talk about the, just how unique that situation is. I know there's, there's a lot of players who play for their dad, right? Most of, and, and then get into coaching, right? A lot of us, um, you know, my dad didn't coach the high school level, but he coached a lot of our youth teams and traveling teams and AAU type stuff. And so talk about playing for your dad, but also the unique opportunity to have him on your staff. Yeah, you know, when you're playing for your dad, there's so many different dynamics in play. And, uh, you know, at the high school, when I was in high school playing for him, um, we had a really good boundary lines of, you know, when we're at home, he's my dad. When we're at the gym and I'm on the basketball team, he's Coach Anderson. And I called him Coach Anderson, you know, when we were in that type of scenario. So, you know, we had a really good balance of, you know, player and father relationship. And, and looking back at it, I don't think I completely understood it back then, um, but I appreciate it more now is that he was harder on me than he was on everybody else. You know, he, if I messed up, you know, he was going to chew my butt. If somebody else messed up, he was going to chew my butt. I think it was one of those things where, you know, he was going to let everybody know that I wasn't getting any favoritism uh, at the high school level. So um, looking back, I appreciate that now more than, uh, than ever um, before. But, you know, like you said, being able to play for him and, you know, he went into the high school coaches hall of fame last year. Um, so obviously, I mean, he's, he's a well-respected coach, especially in Southern Minnesota and, and other places as well. Um, so, you know, it was kind of one of those things where I was at Wasika and he was at Mankato West as the head coach at the time. And, you know, he was starting to, you know, that generation of coaches, you know, the whole huddle thing, that's hard for them. You know, the technology part of the game that has come into play now um, with films and scouting and the whole huddle thing or crossover or whatever you use, um, that's hard for him to keep up with things like that. And it was starting to, to, to wear him out and burn him out and make coaching not quite as fun anymore. And I told him, you know, you're getting down to the end here. And, uh, you know, we got some good Wasika teams coming up. And, you know, 
it would really be fun for you while you're still wanting to be a part of coaching to be able to come over and, and coach with me at Wasika. And, you know, we kind of talked about it. And a week later, he goes, you know, Seth, were you, were you serious uh, when you thought, like, I could come over and be your assistant? I said, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, so, you know, after that, you know, it was kind of a, a done deal. And he's been my uh, um, JV coach ever since. And, and he's loved basketball more as a JV coach than, uh, um, than being a head coach probably the last five years. Just because, you know, the scouting part of it isn't so intense. You're not at home watching film every night. If you get beat, you don't lose any sleep over it as a JV coach. Um, and I know that you can probably – um, speak to this as well but when you're an assistant coach you can be the fun loving guy who just goes to practice and all the kids love you you know you're not that authoritative figure having to lay down the punishments or be the uh, uh, the enforcer when it comes down to it and, and he has just absolutely loved that part of being an assistant coach uh, after having been the main guy and having to set things up for so many years um, so he's absolutely loved it and you know the funny thing is we joke about this a lot you know my my coaching staff right now is my dad as the JV coach he's uh, 62 years old um, he's retired from teaching I mean he basically just subs and coaches basketball now and and works out at the golf course once in a while so he's 62 <laughs> I've got um, my volunteer assistant is a 61 year old farmer um, who I mean he could retire at any point that he wanted to and our ninth grade coach is a guy named Ted Hammond, who used to coach at uh, Janesville Waldorf Pemberton. He's a retired head basketball coach and, and teacher. He's 72. So the three coaches I have on my staff right now are all at that age of retirement where, you know, they're just chomping at the bit to get to practice and be able to ride the bus to games. I don't know how many times where we've had an away basketball game and I get done with school. i scurry over to the high school to jump on the bus and we're about to take off for our two-hour trip to Marshall Minnesota and I get on the bus and a lot of times as a head coach you finally like all right everything's organized I'm gonna relax on the way over yep. you know well those guys they've just been sitting at home watching tv shows all day long or you know so all, as soon as they get on the bus they think it's just happy hour they think it's social hour they just want to <laughs> know tell stories and hey what'd you see on tv today did you see the game last night it got over at 1 a.m and i'm just sitting there like geez guys like i was in bed at 10 o'clock last night and you know it's just it's just one of those really hilarious dynamics of you know being on the go all day long and being able to coach with these retired guys that come in and just to see the pure love that they still have for being around basketball programs um that's really kind of a fun thing for me and you know how many assistants are out there that have been in coaching for as long as the assistants that I have right now where, you know, they've been there, they've done that, they've been in the state tournaments, um, and they've been through, you know, those really tricky situations that you have in coaching once in a while. And, you know, just having those guys to bounce out ideas off of and, you know, be able to talk things through with, um, that's been a great, great um, perk that I've had the last few years here at Wasika, but you know, there was one of those things, you know, um, you know, we kind of, you and I kind of talk about this a lot, you know, um, a couple years ago with us both being in the state tournament at the same time. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, being able to be a player for my dad in a state tournament for three state tournaments and now being able to coach with him by my side as we made a state tournament and, uh, and playing the championship game, you know, those are some really special memories that, uh, 
um, we've been able to make so far. And um, I always tell people, you know, I probably don't even appreciate them as much now as I will in 10 to 15 years. Um, but what a cool opportunity to be able to play for your dad and then be able to coach with your dad and be able to have a success at, at that level. Um, it's a really, really uh, a neat thing. And, you know, probably, I, I don't even think you and I have talked about this, but one of the things I appreciated about you the most a couple of years ago was, you know, you and I were both in similar situations where, heck, we're in class 3A basketball. We're preparing for our first ever state tournament. You know, just the emotions and the adrenaline that go through you um, throughout that whole time as, as you prepare for, you know, three or four days of just absolute madness and craziness uh, getting ready for that time period. But, you know, and then you and I ended up playing two of the same teams in the state tournament that year. So, you know, to be able to talk with you and, you know, talk a basketball with you and um, to be able to go through that, you know, I, I don't know if any other people realize it, but to be able to go through that with basically you together, that's a cool bond that, you know, you and I will have for a long, long time uh, in our coaching careers. And, you know, it was just one of those things that if you're, if you're not a part of it, it's hard to understand what all goes into it. And, you know, you, you talk about players and teams and man, we were scouting the same exact teams and we played the same exact teams like within two or three days of each other. So, you know, that's a cool dynamic that you and I have been able to share uh, the last couple of years here. And we probably watched the same film. I remember the, what was cool about the state tournament, you know, my wife and I talk about this a lot was I'm sure you guys experienced it as well as at Wasika was just like the community support. And we'll talk about that with your program here in a little bit, but then also just from like our selfishly, like from our family perspective, like my wife was pregnant with our now almost one year old at the time we went uh, two seasons ago or last season, however you want to look at it. And our uh, then two-year-old who's now three was like, first time she's ever been to the city. She like loved looking out the window and walking on the skyway and just like some of that stuff, like being able to experience it with your family. I mean, obviously you, what you enjoy playing with your, working with your kids, like you coach a 16 week season and you have these goals in mind and to see your kids reach those goals is extremely satisfying, but then to like include your family and experience with your family is just a really awesome experience. And for you, even luck, luck, even more so with your dad being on the staff. I mean, one of the things that I love so much about my job is obviously I have great kids, but I am really close with all of my assistant coaches. And so um, Dylan, who, uh, who's my assistant coach was in my wedding and Jordan, who used to be our JV coach. Uh, he was in my wedding. And I uh, just like the, the relationship I've had with my assistants from Nick uh, Novak, who's our uh, local business owner, he's our JV coach and Aaron, uh, ninth grade coach and was first year in the staff jumped right in and having those connections where you know it is funny because I've been in that same situation where we're all coming from different spots I'm at the middle school uh, Aaron I guess our ninth grade coach is a, ninth, a sixth grade teacher but that's, that's about a half mile away on the other side of the building uh, our JV coach is a business owner and our assistants at the high school and we're all just like you're like oh I just want to sit you know we don't have the two-hour bus rides as much within our league but even for 45 minutes you're like I just want to sit and like scroll my phone and get caught up on what's going on and and then just, but then you get on the bus and you got three or four people that you enjoy spending time with, enjoy coaching with that. It kind of reinvigorates you. You start having conversations about whatever is going on in the world. And uh, it's really cool. And I think one of the um, most important things with coaches and people talk about it, like having good assistant coaches from perspective of X's and O's. And you're obviously lucky enough to have that with some former head coaches. But you got to have assistant coaches that you can be like, you don't got to be best friends with where you're drinking at the bar every night with them. But you got to be able to have buddies or coaches who you, you are friends with and can close with, or it turns into a really long season. Oh, man. In the coaching world is a, is a big-time fraternity. I mean, it, it really is. You know, you think about um, 
how much, how many people are in the same situation that you are coaching and the winter season. I mean, and, until you coach the winter season, especially, you know, basketball, you don't realize how long and how much of a grind the season is. I mean, it's an absolute grind. You wake up and it's dark outside and you go to work, you get done with practice and you come home and it's dark. You know, I mean, it's like you don't even know if there's sunlight outside during those winter months. But, you know, like you said, I mean, you got to have people to be able to go through that with you. And the better people you have to go through that with you that you trust and you have confidence in and uh, can help you even just with minimal tasks, you know, just getting the jerseys ready for the kids as they come in, you know, just simple things like that go a long ways in that long um, run of a winter season. So, yeah, it, it, you really can't overlook that part of, of the assistant coaches and the guys who are helping out with your program or your student managers. And, and like you said, you know, basketball and high school sports, it, it's a community thing. Um, it's a community thing. And, you know, I, it, you real, you, it, sometimes it's hard to realize it in your home gym on a Tuesday or Friday night. Um, but when you have the ability and the opportunity to make a state tournament and all of a sudden the whole town shuts down and, you know, that you walk into the, the Target Center or Williams Arena and, you know, the whole half of the arena is filled with your colors, the, the orange and black for Princeton or the blue and gold in Wasika. And, you know, those are some of the biggest goosebumps I've ever gotten in my lifetime is be able to walk in and say, you know, it's not really about me. It's not really about individuals. It's not just about our team. It's a community thing. You know, people from the community take pride uh, in what's going on in their schools, especially in, you know, the bigger, higher profile programs like football or basketball or, you know, hockey, whatever it is, you know, it, it, those team sports that make a state tournament run, there's something special about them because the communities feel a part of it. And, you know, that's what makes high school sports um, almost untouchable compared to any other, you know, sport like that. You know, you know, all the kids, um, you know, all the coaches, you know, all the families that are involved where, you know, there's a lot of passionate college football fans out there or NFL fans out there, but there's something about that connection that makes it feel like it's your own when you're going up there with your, uh, with your community team. And like you said, you know, your families, you're so proud of those moments to be able to go up there and share those experiences with them. But there's so many other families that are sharing in with that same type of experience of going up to the cities and maybe staying in a hotel for the first time with their family and going to watch their role models play at the target center that they've seen, you know, you know, you and I grew up cheering for Kevin Garnett at the target center. And next thing you know, you're standing there where Flip Saunders used to, and you know, your guys are shooting shots from where Kevin Garnett used to. And, you know, it's just one of those things where, man, like how fortunate are we to be able to, to be able to go do some of those things and enjoy some of those things. And, you know, the relationships, like you said, um, you know, I, I, one of my favorite things about coaching is when the kids that you've coached come back during Thanksgiving or Christmas time, or they come into scrimmage, the high school team, those are some of my favorite moments. You know, I always try to talk the kids into going to McDonald's with me across the street after we, uh, after those types of days. And, you know, those are such fun things. You know, we got the, the strike boys or the Willingham boys or the Olson boys and the Goosies and the Nelsons. And there's, there's so many alumni that I've had that, you know, it's just so fun to be able to see what those guys are up to now. And, 
and be able to talk to them a little bit more as adults as opposed to that whole coach and player uh, um, relationship. So like you said, I mean, the relationships and, you know, the excitement level that being able to play in those big situations brings to you, I mean, it, it, it compares to nothing. So you mentioned the community piece, and I want to build off that a little bit. I remember when you guys, I think it was after you beat Austin in the state semifinals uh, two years ago, and I heard a quote, or maybe it was after the state uh, championship game that you guys lost in just by a couple points to De La Salle, is you had a really cool quote about like something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing, this is like our, this is like Wasika's team. It wasn't like my team or our, it was like Wasika's team or something along those lines. And it just shows like, you know, how invested you are in the community and understanding that it is, uh, it's not about you. It's not even about, you know, the players on your team. It's about everyone uh, who, you know, wears the blue and gold, like you mentioned. So what are some ways that you have, obviously Wasika has a, has a big basketball tradition, uh, but how are, what are some ways that you kind of continue that community bond and growing that community's uh, enjoyment and connection to the basketball program? You know, one of the, one of the coolest things is, uh, you know, and, and I don't think, I don't think players realize how much the community loves coming to high school events. You know, when you're playing, you don't see all those people in the stands quite as much, you know, they're there and they're loud, but you don't really see those individual faces all the time. Um, and I, I try to explain to the kids all the time, like people in the community know who you guys are. Um, you know, especially when you have some success and you win some big games, uh, people know who you are. I mean, they read the community newspaper, they meet the Mankato free press. Um, they come to games, they see the programs, they hear, they hear your names thrown around all the, all the time, you know, um, and a lot of high school kids, you know, they're not always ready for that big type of responsibility and to be in the spotlight like they are, you know, and you know, it, it's one of those things that we spend a lot of the time during the season trying to explain to them, like you guys are representatives of Wasika, you know, you guys are a part of the community, you know, the community is what makes this basketball part of it so so fantastic, so fun to be a part of. Um, and, and that's one of the things where, you know, you try to introduce the players to as many fans as you can. And, you know, you try to do things in the community to, you know, just for good public relations type things. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I don't always think the guys on the high school level, some of them do, I don't think they always understand how big of a part of the community that they are. And, you know, being a fourth grade teacher, you know, I teach elementary kids that, you know, they know exactly what happened in the basketball games that night. You know, they, they, they could care less. Those elementary kids could care less that I'm coaching the basketball team. They want to know what it's like to be around, you know, the Willingham brothers or Andrew Morgan or Ryan Dufault. They want to know what it's like to be around those guys, you know, and, and they just talk about them. Like, like they, they talk about those guys, like you would, uh, of Joe Maurer or, you know, of Carl Anthony Towns, you know, they talk about them the same way. Like they see those guys as almost the same type of guys as those NBA guys. And, and when you teach elementary school, like you see it and you get it. Or if you're a parent of one of those young kids, like you see it and you get it and you understand like how big of an impact that those guys have on, on the younger generation. Uh, I mean, just as an example, uh, there is a, there is a kid when we went to the state tournament a couple years ago, um, kid goes, Hey, Mr. Anderson, you know, uh, I'm not going to be in school on Wednesday. Uh, our family's going to go up to the state basketball game. Do you think you're going to go to the game? Like it was completely over his head. Like, like he, the kid asked me if I was going to, yeah, I, I, I told, I, I just told him like, yeah, I'll be up there. I'll be up there. 
you know, they, they don't even know that I'm coaching the basketball team sometimes. And I don't know how many times that they've heard somebody mention something about me as coach Anderson in the building. And, you know, it still just goes over their heads. Like they're so interested in the players that are on the team. They don't care who's coaching it. That's just Mr. Anderson. I see him every day as the fourth grade teacher, you know? So uh, it's, it's really funny um, to be around that type age of students and kids all the time. Like, like, how big of a deal those high school kids are to them. And, you know, I try to relay that message to our high school kids as often as possible, but um, I don't always know if they even completely understand it until, until they get to your and I's type age when you start having younger kids that um, look up to them like, uh, like these young kids do now. My eighth graders are a little bit different. They, they grasp that, I'm, that I coach the eighth graders that I have in my social studies class. But what they want to know is like, hey, how many dunks you guys have last night? How many dunks did Cody Miller have last night? He had two dunks. Like, oh, can you show me the highlights? Like, no, we're not going to watch the highlights in class. Like, we have work to do. But <laughs> it came to the game if you want, if you want to know what the dunks were like. But uh, you, you kind of hit on my next point. If you mentioned, um, you know, the Morgan kids getting a lot of Division One interest. So you had Malik Willingham is at Mankato State right now, correct? Yeah, yep. And the other one, uh, his brother, I saw just had a football and basketball off for Mankato and Dufault's probably a scholarship level kid as well. And so talk about how you, with having such high level players in your program, how do you challenge them in practice um, when you are in a smaller community? And I talked with uh, Coach Burger Lake City about the same thing as well. And so what are some ways that you challenge them in practice when, you know, it's not like a Hopkins or it's not like a, a Eden Prairie when you, you, your JV team could probably beat a lot of varsity teams. And so how do you, how do you keep them motivated and challenge them in practice? Yeah. And you know, when you've got some really high end talent, you know, like, like Andrew Morgan at six, nine, um, he'll be playing division one basketball at some point, you know, there's nobody that can match up with him. You know, honestly, I mean, unless we bring, you know, like a Jake Guzzi who's playing at Gustavus right now, but I mean, he's about the only body that could ever match up with him in a practice. Um, that we could throw at him, but you know, <laughs> you know, Kyrie's Willingham being six five and lanky, like there's not a lot of guys on our uh, on our team that can match up with that. And you know, that's why that's why they are sought after uh, as scholarship players because you know there's not a lot of high school players that can match up with them, and that's what makes your team good to begin with is that you have those guys. But you know, one of the things that we talk about is you know playing physical in practice. You know. We, we play way more physical in practice than we do um, during games. And, you know, I always kind of give our, you know, our second unit or our, our JV team, you know, I always let those guys pound the crap out of our varsity guys. You know, that's kind of how it evens the playing field and, you know, not necessarily, you know, throwing elbows or, you know, coming down with hard fouls and stuff like that. But, you know, I kind of give them the, the okay to, you know, kind of pull on some jerseys and, you know, kind of push them off of spots the best that you can, you know, we kind of loosen up the rules a little bit for those guys to, to kind of give them advantage and be able to push those guys a little bit. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of times in practices where, you know, things are easy for our top five to be able to score against our second five or our third five, you know, and, one of the things that I, that always seems to liven the thing, liven the mood up is, you know, I, I'm still young enough to be able to jump into practice once in a while and try to hold the fort down with, uh, with our JV team. So I'll jump into practice and try to beat those guys up and hold the fort down on the scout team once in a while. But, and you know, as soon as the coach jumps into a practice and starts playing, you know, everybody, Hey, I got coach. I'm going to rough him up. You know, everybody wants to show that they can guard coach and that they can score on coach. And, you know, I, I, I can still hold my own, well 
Um, I don't know how many more years left I have of being able to pull that off, of being able to, you know, elevate the energy and practice um, that way. Um, but, you know, you just got to try to find goals in practice. You know, there's a lot of times where, you know, we'll put three minutes on the clock and say, all right, JV team is up five points with three minutes to go. All right. And we play from there. And, you know, the varsity guys got to be engaged because they have to get stops. They got to be efficient with their possessions and got to score. You know, you, you try to put them in disadvantaged situations um, uh, to be able to keep it competitive and to keep them engaged. And, you know, we try to do a lot of one-on-one -on -one things, you know, we try to play one-on-one, -on -one. you know, one of our things with our, you know, our defensive and offensive things in practice is, you know, being able to stop the guy with the ball in front of you and being able to create skills where you can score on a guy one-on-one -on -one in front of you. So, you know, we try to, you know, those individual skills, we try to keep as competitive as possible and pair some of those higher level players with higher level players um, so that they can continue to push each other. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, at every, at every level of basketball, you know, at, especially at the high school level and the smaller school you go to, the harder it is to push those top guys um, to be able to get better and better, especially in a five-on-five -five scenario. Um, luckily for us, we've been able to be deep enough um, the last few years where, you know, we, we might not be able to compete with our top five, but we can be competitive enough where if they don't do things well, you know, we can um, um, abuse that. But, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you want those top guys to play with each other but, you know, once in a while, I mean, there's a lot of practices a couple years ago where I would take Malik Willingham, who's, like you said, playing at MSU, and I'd put him on the scout team, and our next top five would play against our scout team with Malik Willingham. And it was amazing how intense it would get because Malik would want to take that team and show that, hey, I can beat these guys with anybody, you know. And it, it was almost like, the, you know, that, uh, that Michael Jordan mentality of, you know, hey, you can stack it against me as much as you want. I, I'm, I'm still going to be able to to win this thing, however you set it up. So, you know, we try to set up different things like that to keep it competitive throughout the year and interesting. Offensive X's and O's wise. Uh, one thing I want to come back to, uh, I wanted to fit with the uh, conversation about your better players. So you have a you know, six, nine division one kid and who is it, you know, a good back to the back, back post type player. And as you mentioned, the game has evolved from where a lot of teams are running off ball motion. I know coach Klingsporn the Tartan talked about this as well. And I had him on a couple weeks ago. Uh, but how do you, even within your ball screen offense, what are some ways that you're able to get um, some traditional post-ups and run your offense through the post? Yeah, and you know what? The more, the more basketball has gone, you know, you've seen the importance of the three-point shot. I mean, just ex absolutely explode these last five years, you know, the Steph Curry effect. Um, and, you know, at, at the college level, at the pro level, it, it's even more amplified. But, you know, <laughs> the guys who have really good big guys – those are still the teams that are making it to the state tournament. And those are still the teams that are, are, are really hard to defend and seem to be the most dominant still, you know, until I think you see a shot clock come into high school basketball, I think you're still going to see the importance um, of the post touch and, and post moves and post play. And um, that's one of the things in our ball screen offense, you know, we start with, you know, dribble handoffs and, you know, kind of some three, three man, you know, I don't want to call it triangle offensive side, but we kind of refer to it as the three man side where, you know, you kind of have two perimeter players and a post player on one side of the floor. And, you know, it kind of spaced on the other side of the floor with two guys, but, you know, we always tell our kids, anytime a post player is open, they got to get the ball. They got to get the ball, you know, no matter what type of, you know, style you play, 
you want to get the highest percentage of shot as possible. And, you know, I, I'm still kind of into that belief is, you know, a layup or a shot close to the basket is still the best thing that you can possibly get. Um, and be the most consistent with, um, you know, you don't want to be that team that, you know, shoots 40% from three point line all year. And all of a sudden in a playoff game, you shoot 21% and all of a sudden you're out of the playoffs. You know, it, that's much more likely to happen than it would be if you were to get a whole bunch of post touches, you know, and I would say most of our post touches, you know, they probably score 60% of the time or better on a post touch, which I mean, if you can get a 60% shot, you're probably going to take that every time. Um, so that's one of the things where, you know, our offense is built for post touches um, probably first, um, but it also has the ability for those guys, like I said, to, to make plays off the ball screen. Uh, like Ryan Dufault, the kid we have right now, is, is unbelievably good at being able to get in the lane and create off the ball screen. So, you know, our, our number one, <clears throat> excuse me, our number one uh, um, mentality is to get a post touch every time down the floor. Um, whether it happens or not, or whether the defense dictates for that to happen or not, um, might be the second part of it. Um, but we always kind of talk about in our offense, the way the defense defends us will determine who gets the ball. You know, if they defend us this way and they double team the ball off a ball screen, well, here's the guys that you could possibly throw it to. You know, if they defend it this way, Andrew Morgan better get a post-touch every single time. If they're fronting them, we better try to get a high-low, and if it's there, we should throw it every single time. You know, things like that, just kind of be able to go through the progressions. And, you know, it's almost like a, a, a football mentality. You know, if they're going to take away the deep pass, we better throw that short pass and let them run for a ways. Or, you know, if they're going to put seven defensive backs out there, you know, we better run a dive up the middle. You know, it's, it's that type of mentality where – you know, you want kids to believe in, you know, that we have five guys on the floor that can be effective if it's their turn to be called upon. And that's kind of the mentality that you want to try to play with. You know, when it comes down to the last three minutes of the game, yeah, we want our best guys touching the ball and getting shots. But, you know, up until that point, we still want the highest percent of shot as possible. And if that means people are double teaming the post and not letting us get in there, well, yeah, we'll, we'll shoot a wide open three pointer um, if that's what it comes to. But our first mentality is usually to get post touches if we can. All right. So that last uh, segment or last question here, uh, this is one thing that you want to talk about too, in our, in our pre-texting beforehand, What's, what are some things that you've learned as a head coach or, and, or what advice would you give to a, a new or a first year head coach? Yeah. You know, probably, probably the biggest thing is in coaching, you want to figure out, you know, what's important to you and what do you believe in? And, you know, you got to, once you figure out what you believe in and what you want to do, do whatever you can to carry out those things. Cause you know, when I was in blue earth, we had a, a really good football coach down there named Randy Kukemeister. And he would always say, do it the way you think it should be done. Cause at the end of the day, you have to answer to you. You have to answer to you. You're not answering to anybody else. You don't want to go through regret of saying, I wish I would have done it this way coach the basketball or coach the way that you think it should be done, you know? Um, and that's going to be a, di that's going to be different for every single person. Um, but you want to be able to figure out what style can you coach the best and carry it out. And, you know, I, I always tell, you know, people who are getting into coaching for the first time, you know, there's going to be things that happen during a season 
that you can't predict is going to happen. You know, whether a kid does something stupid, gets in trouble, you know, a fan or a parent does something stupid. I always try to tell coaches something stupid is going to happen during the year. You know, something that you wish wouldn't happen. And when it's in the process of happening, you're like, how are we ever going to recover from this? You know, how are we going to get through this? And, you know, one of the things that I've learned throughout the eight years that I've been a coach and six or seven as a head coach, you know, no matter the big, the situations you come across, it's eventually going to fix itself. It's going to work itself out. You might have to, you know, go through the discipline process, whatever that may be, but you will get through it. You will get through it. You know, you might, it, something will happen and you'll go, my gosh, how are we going to move on from this? Two weeks later, you don't even remember that that thing happened anymore. And, you know, as, as a young coach, you know, you're so worried and you get so caught up on the things that go wrong that it's hard to see like, oh, it'll be okay. Like if I carry out the discipline, if I carry this out or, you know, if I have this conversation, you know, it might not be great right away, but in the long run, it's going to be all right. And, you know, things will progress and things will get better. And, and everybody who's been a head coach will tell you there will be parent problems at some point. There will be player controversy at some point, you know, playing time issues, you know, whatever it may be, getting in trouble in school, you know, whatever it may be, there's going to be something that comes up where you go, man, it's going to be really hard to come back from this one. And it, you, you always find a way. You always find a way. Um, you know, there's always that phrase of this too shall pass. Um, you know, especially when you're coaching in a long, long basketball season, stupid things are going to happen. And, uh, you know, you just got to figure out how you want to respond to it and how you want to react to it and where to go from there. And uh, a lot of almost 99% of the time, those things, uh, those things will fix themselves. And, you know, the other thing that always, that always interests me is, uh, you know, the whole strategy of basketball, you know, there's no exactly one correct answer or blatantly wrong answer when it comes to strategy, you know, like I was, when, it, when I was sitting down with you, like I said, you know, like, let's talk about some situations, you know, like, you know, like if you have a three point lead late in the game, do you foul? Do you try to guard the three point line? You know, you know, tie game with 20 seconds left and the other team's holding for the last shot. Like, do you sit back and let them run that last play or do you try to attack them or do you pull the old Jimmy Valvano and foul and put them at the free throw line so that you can get the ball back and try to win? Like, like there's so many different strategies and styles out there, you know, like a kid picks up two fouls in the first half. Do you sit them? Do you let them play? You know, there's no exact right answer to any of this, uh, uh, any of these things. And, you know, whatever you do, there's always going to be people that second guess you at when the game is done. And I think that's one of the things that I've gotten better at as the years have gone on is not second guessing the decisions that I made at the time. You know, you're the coach, you know, your team, you know, the team that you're playing, you have the best knowledge and information of, of everything that's going on at that time. Will it, will your decision always work? No, absolutely not. You might've made the right decision and it still didn't work, you know? And those are the things that, that you got to be able to take in mind as, you might've made the right call and it still didn't work or you might've made the wrong call and it worked. You know, it's just one of those things where there's no exact correct answer and, and you've got to be able to kind of live with that once in a while. And you know what, the last thing that I always try to tell people is try not to connect your mental health to wins and losses. And everybody who's in coaching is guilty of this. And I know I I've gotten better at it, but I'm still really awful at it. And I know coach C you struggle with this too from time to time is, you know, my happiness 
shouldn't be connected with how well teenage boys play basketball. You know, and, you know, you get beat on a Friday night and you spend the whole weekend just upset about how poorly you played that night. You know, and, and when, you, when you look at it in the big picture, it's just so irrational to think like that. You know, because Johnny missed a three-pointer that could have won the game for us, I'm feeling bad all weekend. You know, like, why is that the mentality that I go in there with it? And, you know, I'm never going to be able to completely fix being upset after a loss or, you know, being as excited after a win. But, you know, I always try to tell myself I can't connect my mental stability or my happiness or sadness to how a bunch of teenage boys perform on a Friday night, you know, and that's, and that's the mentality that you, you know, is you try to think about, but it's really hard to, to execute that, even though how irrational it seems to you at the time. So, you know, though that's the best advice that I can give coaches is do the things that you think are the best for your program, make decisions and stick by them, even if they work or they don't work and adjust from there. And at the end of the day, make sure that you have good people around you for the ups and downs of the season, because there will certainly be ups and downs. Coach, that's really good stuff. I appreciate you taking your time uh, out of your week here to come and talk with us. I've been doing great things at Waseca, and I expect, uh, although you guys didn't get the opportunity to try to uh, get back to the state tournament this past year, unfortunately, which we could have, we could have talked about, but I didn't want to, didn't want to kill your vibe today. Um, <laughs> I, I expect to, I expect to see you guys back next season doing big things. So thanks for joining us today. Coach C, it's always a pleasure, my man. Hopefully we'll run into you sometime soon. Sounds good.